Welcome to today's Church Central podcast. We're a family of churches across Birmingham. To find out more, head to churchcentral.org.uk. While he was in Bethany, i.e. while Jesus was in Bethany, reclining at the, in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume. Oh, blow, I've forgotten that one. Oh, dear, never mind. <laughs> Uh, she broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. So, as I said, there are 72 verses in this chapter. It's broken up into eight sections. And um, a quick resume of the whole, whole, whole book is that Jesus is anointed at Bethany. Then Judas agrees to betray Jesus. Then there's the Last Supper. Then Jesus predicts Peter's denial. Then Jesus prays in Gethsemane. Then Jesus is betrayed and arrested. Jesus comes before the council and Peter denies Jesus. And this one verse out of 72 verses is like a diamond. It's like a a Tiffany diamond in the middle of these 72 verses. The background to this, uh, I know that... uh, um, Zoe talked about uh, the background to, to her, her, her um, talk the other day. But it's set in the village of Bethany. It's just a little village. We've been to Jerusalem, and um, Bethany is only two miles away. It's about a 40-minute walk. Um, so it's just a little place. And it was the home of Lazarus. And Lazarus is the one that Jesus raised from the dead. Lazarus had two sisters sisters Mary and Martha who you also hear about quite a bit in the Gospels. It says it takes place in the home of Simon the leper. Now if somebody had leprosy they wouldn't be hosting a meal so one has to assume that Simon the leper was probably healed by Jesus at some point. So he was they they gave people names so like Simon the Tanner or whatever so you knew who they were because there were probably a lot of Simons. So Simon was somebody who had had leprosy. He had a home. He was sharing it with Jesus now. So they would have all been seated at a big, big table, but they didn't sit at tables like we do on a nice chair. They sat um, reclining at tables. So there would be tables at various angles, and they would be sitting with their feet out, um, behind them. I find it quite uncomfortable, <laughs> and they'd rest on one elbow and eat with the other hand. So Jesus's feet would have been tucked behind him. Now I have, I have a little example of what Jesus might have looked like <laughs> in James. Now when I did a bit of Bible research I, I, about the men in Jesus's time, then you know we always get this picture like in the film The Chosen with Jesus with long blonde hair or whatever. It actually said they probably had curly hair. So. But James doesn't have a big woolly beard, which is a bit of a shame. But anyway, he's got a nice big sideboard. <laughs> Jesus would have been wearing a rather rough, hand-sewn, uh, all-in-one tunic. I only had a short one. I brought that back from, um, not Thailand, yeah, Burma. <laughs> and they tended to wear a scarf which they sometimes put over their head as well. So Jesus would have had this very rough 
uh, material on him, he would have had quite thick hair possibly, and quite possibly a thick beard as well. Now, why is that significant? It's quite significant because of what happens. So, this is set two days before Passover. Passover came every year. It was celebrated by all the Jews. And they knew that it was at a time when uh, the Israelites came out of Egypt, and before they came out, they put blood on the doorposts of their house, and the angel of the Lord passed by, and they weren't killed. If they didn't have the blood on the doorposts, it meant the firstborn would die. And so this was just before Passover. They're all sitting there. You can imagine it must have been a very happy, chatty time, a dinner party, sort of, with friends, just having a good time. There would have been ladies there, I'm pretty sure of it, because they would have been waiting on tables. But they may not have been sitting at the tables. I looked at lots of pictures, and there were some pictures of the ladies reclining at table, but it was probably mostly a male affair of men on the tables. So there was, there were very possibly, I'm having to use poetic license in some of this, there were very possibly ladies in that room. And there was one lady who was in that room, and she wasn't exceptional to anybody else because she's probably in and out, but she came intentionally because she came with a pot. Now, this pot, she wouldn't have been, you know, it wasn't something she would have tucked in her pocket and walked around the high street with. This pot was, again, probably her dowry. Now, a dowry in those times was something that the, the bride-to-be's parents saved up to give their daughter as a gift towards her husband and his, her husband's family. And depending on how wealthy that family was, depended how much went into the pot. Now, um, in Mark 14, it talks about an alabaster jar, and some say an alabaster box. Now, I brought everything except my alabaster pot, which we bought in Jerusalem, which I'm a bit annoyed about. Alabaster is quite soft. It's quite a soft, translucent stone. So she wasn't going to be waiting on tables thinking, I'll, I'll just take my dowry with me. This was incredibly expensive. This was equivalent to a year's wages for a laborer that was in this jar. So she was very intentional in what she was going to do. And she came into this room, and there's a lovely um, verse in Matthew 9, when it talks about, in Mark 9, it talks about when uh, the disciples went up onto the Mount of Transfiguration. And it says of Peter, James, and John, they saw Jesus only. When she walked into that room with lots of men chatting, eating, noise, bustle, she saw Jesus only. And her heart was overwhelmed with love for him because she knew that she, she was loved unconditionally. There wasn't anything in her life that Jesus didn't love about her. Now, we don't know whether this was Mary 
of Mary and Martha. We don't know if it was Mary Magdalene in whom the seven spirits were cast out. We just know this was a lovely lady who loved Jesus. And you have to also remember, at this point, Jesus hadn't died. So she wasn't going and saying, oh, he's done so much for me. He's forgiven my sins. He's died. No, he hadn't died yet. She still loved him. She loved him with such a pure love. Now, again, poetic license. I am thinking this lady is in her 30s or 40s. Because if she was younger than that, she wouldn't have her dowry still. It would have been spent. And what would happen was girls in this time, by biblical time, were married when they were about late teens, between 15, 18. They were usually married. So I'm guessing that she wasn't in that age group. She must have been an older lady who hadn't been married at that point. And what they would do when the family had arranged who, who was going to marry who, um, the bride-to-be would take her alabaster jar, which was her dowry, and she would break it on the feet of her bridegroom. And she did this to show him honour. And this was accepting that she was going to marry him and she was honouring him by breaking this jar. Now in this jar, it says there was spikenard in it. Now I did my level best, but this is not pure spikenard. I was going to pass them around, but I thought you'd be so busy putting it on yourself, you wouldn't be listening. So you are quite welcome to come and put some of this on yourselves afterwards. It isn't very strong, but the spikenard that, that uh, was in this pot, this alabaster pot, would have filled the room. It would have been overwhelming. It would have been, uh, it would have been amazing. And in that pot, that is about the amount of oil that was in that pot. Now, if I poured this over your head, James, what would happen? It would, and your hair would be an awful mess. <laughs> your beard would be sticky, it would be down on your clothes, and because the cloth is very coarse, it would be absorbed into the cloth. When somebody comes to one of the church elders and says, Will you anoint me with oil because I'm sick? And it says in James 5 that you should go to the elders and the elders will anoint you with oil and pray for the sick to be healed. They get a nice little tiny bottle and they're very, very British. And they get a nice little finger or a piece of tissue and they say, in the name of Jesus, be healed. And, and then they usually, well, I know James says, gets a little tissue and wipes it off in case it's inconvenient. Um, <laughs> No, that wasn't the thinking behind this anointing. This anointing was a pouring out. That is, that is lavender oil, which I, I made because I wanted to see, see how easy it was and I had a lot of lavender. That's thick, sticky, very viscous. That would cling. Beautiful thing is, that would probably have clung to Jesus when he was being whipped, scourged, hung on a Calvary. Because that would still be in his hair. This was only two days before Passover. 
just before he was, he was um, whipped and beaten and crucified, that scent would have been still clinging to him. Now, the thing that I found really caught my attention was it says that she broke her alabaster jar. Now, you could do three things with a jar. That jar would have had a stopper in it. It may have been resin, it may have been wax. Um, it was sealed somehow. Now, when she brought that jar to Jesus, she could have thought, I'll take the stopper out and I'll pour a little bit on Jesus. Because you never know. I might get married. I'm not too old. I'm not that ugly. I've still got my, my value, my worth. I'll just pour out a little bit. I'll keep the rest. Just in case. That would have been one way of breaking a jar. The charity shop comes in very useful. <laughs> now, I can't do this because it would make an awful mess, and actually this glass is quite thick. The other way of getting oil out of the jar, if that had got a stopper in it, would be if I dropped this, what would happen to it? It would smash. But what would happen if it smashed the oil in it? It would make an awful mess. There would be alabaster shards in the oil on the floor. And it doesn't say that this lady came along, scooped it off the floor and then pumped it on his head. Because it would have been very messy and it would have been full of little bits. And we can do that in many ways in our lives. When we come to bring something, an offering to the Lord. Because of hurt, pain, a bit like what Mike read, things happen in our lives that trouble us. Things happen in our lives that we don't let go of easily. And sometimes we come to the Lord with our worship and we smash it. Okay, Lord, I know you want me to worship you. I'm going to worship you because that's what I'm supposed to do. That's why I'm here. Why do you think I've come this morning? Yes, I'll do what everybody else does. I'll stick my hand in the air or I'll, I'll sing, but I don't have to because it's not compulsory. But sometimes we smash our worship. We don't offer it. We smash it. But there was a third way. Often the, the jars in um, Jerusalem in that period had long, thin necks. And you see them, they, had, they usually had a handle on. This was something I inherited from an old auntie. <laughs> Um, and again, it would have had a stopper in it of some sort. I don't think the neck would have been very wide on it. And I pondered and I pondered and I thought, well, Lord, how do you break a jar? Alabaster is quite soft. You could snap it, but it wouldn't be that easy to snap. But then one of the things that I, <laughs> that I, I read about is that um, alabaster doesn't like being put in water because it is soft, 
soft and it softens it even more. Um, and I, I was going to bring my alabaster pot and show you because I, I, mine's actually got a hole in it because I poked it too hard and poked a hole in it. So I think it's very possible that she wet the neck of her jar knowing what she was going to do. So she got her alabaster jar and maybe in the, in the kitchen while everybody else was busy serving, she just wet the neck of that jar. And then she took it into Jesus and she snapped it. That way she hasn't got lots of little bits everywhere. She was able to pour it out. Sacrificially pouring out her hopes, her hopes of marriage. She didn't think about that. She just looked and saw Jesus only. And she wanted to worship him. And this was her adoration for her heavenly bridegroom. There's only actually eight references to the word broke in, in the New Testament. So the breaking was significant. Now, I don't know how she broke that jar, but it's just one way to think about it. You can imagine that oil running down on Jesus. It says in Proverbs, honor the Lord with your wealth and the very best of everything you produce. It says in Numbers 18, 29, you must present the offering due the Lord from all the best of every gift, the holiest part of it. So when we come and we offer something to the Lord, Scripture tells us we should be offering the holiest part to the Lord. We should be offering the very best that we can produce. Now what did this action of this ladies do in that room? For the woman herself, she was breaking the constraints on her life. In Psalm 100, uh, Psalm, I think it is 113, the wrong one, verse 1, it says, the psalmist says, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? This woman was bringing those unanswered prayers and questions and saying, I love you. How many, how long, Lord? have we got here? How long before I get married? How long before I have children? How long before I get a home of my own? How long will it be? And sometimes we hold on to these how longs and forget that God has given us everything already. He's given us all that we need your hand has provided. Great is your faithfulness, Lord, unto me. What effect would it have had on Jesus? Jesus knew her heart. He knew all about her. We don't, we don't know who she was. We don't know about her. Jesus knew all there was. And he, he must have thought, he knew he was on the way to Calvary. He knew that not many days hence, 
he would die the most wicked, painful death that the Romans could ever devise. He knew he was on that road to Calvary, and he knew this sacrificial love was like a, prepare, a preparation for his burial. But the amazing thing is, what effect did it have on the other people in the room? They grumbled, they complained, they said, what a disgusting waste, it could have been sold, it could have been used to, to feed the poor. And Jesus said, the poor you'll always have with you. What she's done is a beautiful thing. But the most amazing thing in my mind is that the effect it had on Judas Iscariot. Here's this beautiful pouring out of sacrificial love on Jesus and Judas, who's walked with Jesus for three full years as one of his closest 12 disciples, is sitting there plotting, how can I betray this man? How can I get my 30 pieces of silver? How can I lead him to a dark place where they can come and take him away? It's just, just beggar's belief. There's this woman just totally sold out for Jesus. And there's the man in the room thinking, how can I betray him to his death? And when we worship extravagantly before the Lord, it has an effect on other people. You think of the story of King David in, I think it's in Samuel, where the Ark of the Lord is brought into Jerusalem and David dances before the dark Ark of the Lord. Now, the only thing I can describe is a bit like him having a Scottish kilt on, but under a Scottish kilt, it is said the men don't wear underwear. Uh, in those days, only the priests wore linen undergarments. So King David, he didn't have linen undergarments, and he danced with all his might before the Lord and exposed himself to those around him. His wife was looking out of a window and he saw, she saw her husband dancing in unabandoned praise and worship. And he came back in, his heart was overflowing, he was full of joy, he'd seen the ark come into Jerusalem. And this wife says to him, didn't you make a fool of yourself? Didn't you embarrass yourself? Didn't you expose yourself to common women in the street? And you know what happened to her? She never bore any children. Because Jesus, God looked at her heart and says, you despised that worship. And I loved it. I loved that song that, I don't know who Charlie is. <laughs> oh, there she is, that uh, Charlie sent us. Just seeing Philip, or whatever, Phil Whitman dancing about. And I just thought, that's it, abandon fully abandoned praise and worship. In, in the Gospels, we read story after story of miraculous healings. And you try and think, how many extravagant thank yous do we read about? We read about 10 lepers who got healed. How many came back? One. One came back. We don't read about much extravagance. 
but we read it here. Extravagant pouring out of a thank you. How often do we come to Jesus and say thank you? Thank you for all the things you've done for me. The things you've provided for me. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. So I've got some questions. When we come to worship, do we do so intentionally or out of habit? Do we bring to our worship something of great value? Do we pour it out just a little bit in case we need the rest? Do we smash it with a begrudging heart? The sorrow, the sadness, the resentment, the bitterness, the anger, the disappointments. Do we say, God, it's your fault. You should have done something about these disappointments in my life. Or do we open our hearts and even in the breaking, the brokenness of our lives, do we pour it out? Now what's tinkling? Let's tinkle that off. <laughs> do we choose to break and release and never gather together again. In the 80s, um, James and I heard from a, a pastor, an American pastor called Larry Lee, and he was talking about forgiveness when offenses come in our lives. He said offenses will come in our lives. And we have got to learn not to curse them, not to nurse them, not to curse them, not to rehearse them, but to let God disperse them. And if that offence still rankles our spirits, it isn't dealt with. And if you hold on to offences, the Holy Spirit's anointing will lift off your life and your oil will become rancid. So I just want you to close your eyes and I want you to imagine you have a beautiful alabaster jar in your hands. What is it filled with? Is it filled with love, with joy, with a desire to honour God with your very best? Or is it full of disappointments and unfulfilled dreams that have turned you sour? If you poured it out over Jesus, would it be a fragrant offering or a ransom, rancid one? Before the Lord, can you choose to say, I no longer am going to nurse my disappointments. I am no longer going to curse my failures. I want God to thoroughly deal with these things that weigh me down and hold me back. I want the Holy Spirit's anointing on my life and I'm not going to let the devil rob me of the fullness of joy offered to me.